to Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. We're at it again, old buddy. And uh, I had a lot of fun here with Chad Charmison, who you're going to hear from here momentarily. I know it's your job to uh, announce them, but they saw what's the title name. So, yeah, I mean, what is the title name? Finding Scorpions. Finding Pretty Scorpions. Cool. It's a, you're going you're gonna to you know, know why. Yeah, you're going to learn. You're going to learn why we look for scorpions. Yeah. Speaking of finding scorpions, um, there are some absolute creatures that I've been finding on Walton Webcasting. And thanks to Walton Webcasting, I can find and view some of these amazing animals that are being exhibited across the country. San Antonio Bear Show? Holy smokes. That's exactly what I was talking about. Man, I got that thing pulled up on my big screen TV while I work out of my home office. It's It's incredible. I mean... The beauty of smart TVs now is that you can pull up Walton Webcasting and throw it up there on That's, more than just your little laptop or your phone. That is the absolute truth. And yeah. those guys are awesome. I mean, on the road with Greg, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with the uh, on the road with Greg at this one, because I know he's been down there for quite some time. I'm waiting for the next the next hit record. Yes. Now by, that by he's Greg an, Allen. Now that he's an MC. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, big time. Yeah. Sweater guy? Yeah. Come on. Love our folks at Walton Webcasting. Uh, Speaking of, they are going to be at every single show tour event that we're going to be hosting. Coming up very soon. What's what's the show tour? Show tour is happening this spring. We are going to be all across the country at the major shows starting here very, very soon. We're going to have more info out very shortly. Uh, But the 2020 Stock Talk Show Tour brought to you by Purina Show Feeds is happening. The Honor Show line. Yes. Congratulations. Gotta love it. I, they, they did a little rebranding. It looks, looks nice. Sounds, sounds nice. Thankful for our friends at Honor Show for making the show tour possible. How about that? There we go. All works. All right. So another thing, Trevor, that I wanted to cover here in our opening is the fact that I was in Ohio all last weekend looking through sheep, and I didn't get a chance to see a but Boy, there's a lot of good sheep out there. Your, 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 your state of Ohio is thick with, with really good breeders. I was going to say, you had to come to Ohio to find them. Well, you know, <laughs> the, sign, the sign says, find it here. Oh, yeah, the arch. So yeah, the arch says, find, find it find here it when you leave. Yeah. Uh, and when you leave, you know, I wish it says, hope you found it, but it doesn't. It said some, something about coming back. Well, or, well, yeah, hope to see you again or something. Yeah. That's cool. That's all right. You didn't have to visit me or anything, although you're in the great state of Ohio. But whatever. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's great, but you do have some nice sheep there. Oh well, nice sheep. <laughs> um, so Kirky, we also have to talk about something because you're in the thick of this right now uh-huh. um, uh, on on buying show pigs. But let's not forget that one of the best places to buy livestock and to buy cattle specifically is on ShowCattleConnection.com. Show Cattle Connection, for those that don't know, is loaded with an experienced team of industry leaders who we've had on this show, several of them. Mm-hmm. They will help you buy, sell your cattle to get them in the right hands. Easy to use website allows customers, which is you, to navigate your sale quickly and efficiently. Okay. So just book a sale with Show Cattle Connection and experience positive results. We like positive positivity around here. Oh, yeah. That's what we're all about. 
That's what we're all about. We're all about it. Yes. Um, Trev, how about the fact that we have that we had a Valentine's Day sale on the website for the merch? Yeah, went pretty well. Went pretty well. Yeah, those folks yeah. who uh, missed out on it, sorry. It's but not too late. We still have merch. Uh, the sale is no longer going on, but we have a lot of really cool items that is brought to you by Fifth Threads, of course. Um, hoodies, hats, T-shirts, women's T-shirts. V-necks. V-necks, uh, Bella Canvas tees. So, and if you go to stocktalk-podcast.com, not only will you find all of that there, but you're going to find something brand new that we're doing, Corey, yep. for we talk about 16 it. to 21-year-olds. Yes, we, we talk about it uh, in, in last week's episode. We talk about it at the end of this episode, but you're going to hear it for the first time in this episode right now, and that is the Stock Talk Build Your Legacy Scholarship. And for those that have not listened to the previous episode, here's Chatterbox about it. Trevor and I along with the help of uh, the idea of our good friend, Luke Ziegler, have come up with a scholarship that we're going to offer 16 to 21 year olds. And just pretty much a a two question, two question application, send us a video and you have to answer the questions of tell us your story. So tell us your story in the show stock industry, which is really a topic, not a question. Well, it's yeah, that's more of a, topic yeah cover the topic of your of your personal story just messing with you yeah whatever and then uh the second part of the question is uh how will the show stock help you build your legacy in the future so i mean pretty simple just shoot shoot us a video um we'd like to obviously there's a application form on the website stocktalk-podcast.com if you don't know that's stocktalk-podcast.com okay um, yeah, application, just fill in all the required fields. Don't forget about the letter to, don't forget about the letter. I forgot that you have this. Uh, okay. So you got to send us a video answering those two questions. And you also have to send us a letter as to how this thousand dollar scholarship will help you build your legacy. That's so, it. Which, yeah, uh, you know, we're all about building blocks around here yep. and, uh, and leaving legacies as, as most of our interview guests have already done and those that are building their legacy still uh we want to know how how the younger generation is going to get after it we want to help build somebody's legacy and if it's a thousand dollar scholarship i think that can help so i think that it should speaking of i I know what i would have done with a thousand dollars at 16 to 21 probably isn't what i would do with a thousand dollars now oh that's the truth yeah like i'm either buying livestock or paying bills which my wife would tell me paying bills is more important than buying livestock. Right now, so, <laughs> well, this time of year it's a little tough. Uh, I get, I'm the same way. I have a pig buying problem. Luckily, mm. I can help buy other people's pigs for them. Uh, yes. Kind of helps fuel the fire. So, Corey, you're about to introduce a guy um, that I learned a lot from in this episode, and these folks are about to learn a lot. Chad Charmison is on, and Corey's going to introduce him as he always does. Hit him with it. Okay, well, I'm not going to go all Chris Collinsworth and say, now here's a guy. <laughs> but what I will do is introduce you to a man who has a show feed named after him. He's built clinics. He owns like three businesses, used to rodeo, grew up in the rodeo scene back in the day. And here's a guy that is just a genuinely good human that you should listen to. Coming up here in about 10 seconds after the in, uh, intro music plays. But welcome to the show, Mr. Chad 
pharmacy. Chad, thanks for joining us, man. I know it's a very busy time of year, so uh, when we get these guys on the microphone, Corey, uh, we take note of it because we know they're extra busy this time of year. So, hey, man, thanks for getting on, and if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and, of course, what you do for a living. All right. Well, Emerson Club Lambs is located in Tennessee, Oklahoma. I grew up in western Oklahoma in Woodward, uh, and as far as you know, raising sheep growing up, I didn't necessarily have any that we raised ourselves. We primarily a rodeo family when I was younger and then got into showing. And, uh, you know, we, I've been doing this, uh, the showing of sheep and livestock in general since I was young, but, you know, kind of took a liking to the sheep program itself. And, and we, we've showed a, you know, growing up, we showed about everywhere we could across the country, not with a whole lot of success, but uh, my parents still made it work to where they could they could take us there and and make a make a showing at least and hopefully not get completely slammed in the, <laughs> in the process. Uh, you know, we uh, my wife and I, Amy, uh, we have two boys, Cade and Crew. Uh, Cade just recently uh, started showing a couple of years ago. He's ten, and Crew's upcoming being four, and can kind of showing some open shows around. But you know, we've been we've been raising sheep ourselves since the mid oh, late 90s and how you know as far as the showing part of it is always a fun and, and fun activity for us but you know just the production side of it is has been a challenge and i always kind of like to look at challenges a little differently than maybe some folks do and it's intriguing to me from a genetic standpoint of course to uh to get sheep made it upright and so we we you know we've kind of taken that to a, a different level than what i ever anticipated us to and um, being there, being here in Hennessy, I think it's a good location for us as far as being kind of central, relatively easy to find, uh, off of major highways at least. So we've been doing that, uh, uh, like I said, since the mid nineties, I was a ag teacher when I first got out of uh, college there at Oklahoma state. And I taught ag for, for eight years at Elgin, Oklahoma. And then when Amy and I got married, we, uh, we moved back up here to Hennessy and, started our family and have our own place here now so hey, Jed, that, your, cow, you know, your cowboys I, about your cowboys about ruined it for my red raiders um uh, i know was, i know was it, tough, I, that was a tough game i, I it certainly was <laughs> <laughs> it was no we not only do we raise sheep uh we also uh have a feed supplement company uh, we purchased Schobert's feed supplements in 2016 from claude Schobert. And so with that, we have a supplement company on the side as far as for all species of livestock and including equine as well. And so as far as our business is concerned, between the you know, Charmerson Club lambs of raising them, uh, we do the clinics in the summer. We have the Schobert's Feed Supplements. Um, and then, of course, my wife still works full time for a 2020 oil and gas uh, as the, basically their accountant and taking care of their business as well. So it's it's full time around here. Everybody has to pitch in to get stuff accomplished for sure. You got to tell, you got to tell us about the rodeo days. No, there's not a lot to tell. <laughs> there, uh, like I said, I, we grew up, that's uh, my grandfather raised quarter horses and that was one of his passions. And, you know, my dad, uh, team rope for several years until my brother and I were old enough to kind of get started. And, 
you know, it started just as minor, some little junior rodeos all the way, you know, up to, uh, you know, my brother took it to a different level than I did. He was a lot better at it than I was and, uh, went on the road and, uh, traveled quite a bit, uh, went to, went to college on a rodeo scholarship. And like I said, I, I figured out real quick that that was not something I was near as talented as, as I needed to be to be competitive. So I stuck with something I felt more comfortable with. There you go. So you're saying you don't try to, maybe if, if you got a you that just won't get back in the barn, you don't try to get the rope out and see if you still got it? No, sir. No, nope, I don't. There's been times I'd like to, but I haven't hardly picked up a rope since, uh, since the mid nineties. So, and, and haven't, haven't, haven't missed it much either. That's awesome. Got a diesel truck? Well, if you do, you should listen. We're going to take a break in the action to tell you about Fleece Performance. If you have a diesel check, check out Fleece. They have a complete lineup of race-proven products for your truck, everything from their famous drop-in cheetah turbochargers for Cummins, Duramax, and Power Stroke to injection pumps, lift pumps, and cylinder heads. Listen, I don't know a whole lot about diesel trucks, so guess where I would go? Fleece Performance Engineering. Luckily, they Visit- do, though. A lot. Yes, they do. Visit their manufacturing facility in Pittsburgh, Indiana, just west of Indianapolis on I-74. Tell them that you talk to the boys at Stock Talk Podcast. Get 10% off of your next order. Pretty cool. All right. Take us back to the mid-90s. Let's let's start with the history of Charmers and Club Lambs, how you got started, and then how you ended up to to what it is today with all the multifaceted parts of the operation. Well, not to show my age or anything, but graduated high school in 93 and, and my brother was still showing there at that point. And so I would buy several different, you know, several sheep around the country and from friends of mine that I knew. And, you know, we had, we had a lot of help uh, through that process as well. When I was finishing up my show career um, and then as that, ended with my brothers there as well we had a lot of help from a good friend of mine and and uh you know it's something that you know buying and trading sheep was not necessarily anything i was doing for any more than to find a few for my brother to show and that's kind of how it started and then you'd have have a few that you know extras and people might need one so you know you'd trade them to those guys and and you know it was it worked out that way we didn't uh and I traded a few sheep there in college and it wasn't anything more than, like I said, to try to pick up some for my brother to show and you might make a little money from, from time to time on them, but it was basically going back to my brother's projects. And so with that said, when I started teaching ag, you know, the trading of sheep kind of, kind of halted. We had a really good program I walked into down there at Elgin, Oklahoma, and a lot of families that were successful before I got there as well as after. Um, and they, you know, trading wasn't necessarily an option at that point. When I was buying projects, it was for those uh, 4-H and FFA kids in that community that we helped. Mm. And so that that was a lot of fun at the time. You know, I think a lot of ag teachers can burn themselves out. And I got to a point kind of myself that you go so hard that you can kind of get a little burnout at times. Um, but as far as the families that I worked with there and the success that they had, it was it was a lot of fun at that point. And we had, you know, like I said, we had that going until, oh, 2006 is whenever I uh, resigned from teaching. And then um, uh, up to this point, I hadn't, we had a few years. I had had a, 
good friend down there that uh, has since passed away. But Nancy Tate had a, had a few use at that point, and Nancy and I become good friends and she had a handful of females there that I kind of helped mentor as far as how to mate them up. And we had, you know, good friends, uh, in the industry with bucks that, that we could had access to from Larry shell, uh, at the time was helping us quite a bit as far as letting us breed to some of his bucks, as well as, uh, impact amps, Brian Riley in Wisconsin. And, um, so that's kind of how our youth flock started. Um, whenever Nancy passed away, we kind of accumulated all those ourselves um and ended up with with that set of females and it went from being about 15 ewes at the time when we started and we're running about 85 to 100 now um and so it's and as our start as we got started it all started there in in apache oklahoma is where nancy was at right next to elgin and and that's how our youth flock started was there with her place wow that's i love i love the history of the the multiple programs it's every time I talk to somebody that's been in it longer than me, yeah. it's always kind of cool to see where, where some of those old genetics came from and how you bases get started. Everybody's got a different answer. I love it. Nancy's Nancy was a sister to two prominent, uh, blocks as far as, uh, Kerr, uh, him and Becky Kerr that were there uh, in that Carnegie area, as well as, uh, Martha White that was mm. in the, in the area the union city area and those were those were nancy tate's two sisters and so that's primarily where she got her start with a handful of females coming from those two places huh. wow that's it's always interesting Corey and i are always students when uh when we hear the history of some of these successful folks like yourself so with that being said i know the mentors that i have i couldn't i wouldn't be here uh if it wasn't for them so what are some of the mentors that you had in your growing stages of your multifaceted businesses and what are, what did they do and what's some of the advice that they gave you uh, to get to where you are now? You know, I'd say that uh, my biggest mentor has become, uh, become a really good friend of mine. Uh, whenever when I was teaching and out hunting and looking for projects for my kids to show that I was teaching there, I had, ventured off to Wisconsin and uh, met Brian Riley and had never really been around impact camps or known what impact camps was at the time until a, a mutual friend of ours, Gene Wynn had taken me there one time. And, and so with that said, becoming really good friends with Brian, I would consider him a, a, my mentor. I think he's been this influential in our program and our decision-making uh, on the breeding side of it and the production side of it as much as anything. Brian has always been there, you know, his advice, uh, giving me advice on how to mate sheep. And for several years, while, uh, while I was still teaching and, and then even after a couple of years after that, several of our females ended up at Brian Riley's, uh, his place, and he would breed them and lamb them out. And then we partnered on the, on that set of, on that set of females and those lambs and the offspring. So Brian is, you know, as far as somebody I look up to and somebody that's uh, done a lot for us and our program and, and continues to do so, even for my kids' sake, you know, I, I would say that Brian is, has been the most influential on, on our program as anybody. You know, Brian's always been good with advice. You know, Brian, you know, when it comes down to just the nutritional stuff on, on, uh, on ewes and babies and that sort of thing and having healthy, healthy stock around, 
Brian's been very uh, beneficial to have on my side as far as teaching me a few of those things and giving me some advice. Uh, not only, you know, like I said, not only from the breeding side of it and production side of it, but just on healthy babies and how to, you know, keep those things in good shape. So many times you go to different farms and flocks. I think you have run into some different areas where you, you just kind of scratch your head and wonder what's what's going on with those sheep. You know, is they, are they healthy? And that's one thing I always try to, you know, pride ourselves in is having having healthy stock. And I think Brian's one of those guys that it has that certain program that those sheep always look as ideal and at their best all the time. You know, advice on stuff as well. Brian is probably one of those guys that uh, black and white. I feel like whenever you, you we have a conversation, it's it's very black and white. He doesn't doesn't have any fluff in it for me. He tells me how it is. If my sheep aren't good enough, he'll tell me. If I if I don't like something of his, we can have that conversation, and and nobody necessarily gets offended by it. <laughs> and there's a lot of times whenever you're going through the production of sheep, there's there's years you just don't like them. And Brian and I've had several conversations throughout the years about, you know, some days it works, some days it doesn't, and some years it's going to be a home run and some that, that it may not be. You basically just have to regroup and figure out what your female base is. And to me, he's helped us on paying attention to what you families work and that sort of thing and and not trying to just gather females from several different flocks and make them work you've got to have kind of line things up from a genetic standpoint and again he's one of those programs i feel like has has that accomplished i mean he may use one buck on on half his half or three-fourths and sometimes an entire flock for one year and that's the only way you figure out I myself struggle with that a lot of times. Sometimes I don't take the advice that's been given to me. <laughs> I try to venture out a lot of times and try something a little new and change things up. And and obviously, you know, it, it, there's going to be some that works on some that doesn't. But Brian's grounded and he's helped us a bunch on just telling us, you know, keep your head up. Don't get frustrated with them. There's going to be good years. There's going to be some that aren't so aren't so good. But you got to keep plugging along and and make good sound breeding decisions whenever you're trying to make those things up. Anytime you've got somebody that can humble you uh, when you need it, uh, as far as somebody comes in your barn and says, hey, you know, that one's probably not good enough. I can respect that sure. at times. So, uh, but no, it's that's... not always something you, it's not always something you want to hear, of course, right. but <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, but it is what it is. And it helps you, it helps you move forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think one of the coolest things that, that you guys do um, speaking of helping, helping people move forward. And, and, and that is, is your clinics and your lame camps or, you know, whatever uh, people want to title it. Um, you know, I think that's something there's several folks out there that, that do that um, type of type of thing, but it's really kind of cool to, to see how everybody, um, you know, prioritizes or does different things within their, their clinics and camps. So, um, you mentioned right. you, guys, you guys run those uh, throughout the summer. Um, so when did you guys start those? Um, and we'll then start kind of what all goes into it? Generally, the end of May. Um, we'll start those clinics the end of May, and and we'll run them all the way through the first uh, week of August or you know middle of August. It's for us. It's we can do little one day clinics and demos and that sort of thing in the off what I call the off season for you know when kids are in school, but as far as trying to get clinics scheduled, it's always easier to do it in the summertime when, when kids are out of school. 
Right. Uh, you know, I started doing those um, when I was in college and helping another guy as he was doing the same thing and kind of worked, worked with him on those. And then as I got to teaching, I got asked to do, you know, some of my own and, and it, it kind of just spiraled from there. I mean, it kind of took off and it's not, again, it's, as far as us on the clinic side, we do host uh, one or two here in Oklahoma, and but generally speaking, they're all out of state. And I've always got good folks that want to host one, and they set they coordinate the whole thing. And that's been the best thing about it is, you know, I basically turn it all over to them. They take all the registration, they they set up the event center wherever we're going to have it, and then I come in and and. All I have to do is put on the clinic and I have help a lot of times from either former showmen that I've had or current showmen that I take with me as far as helping. And we, we concentrate a lot on showmanship. There's nothing more irritating. I think from my standpoint is to see a young individual in the ring with a, with a good sheet and having a hard time getting a shown or it's fitted, you know, it, the sheep could have been really good, but his legs aren't fitted very good. He looks like he's been sheared with a, fake you know it's yeah so we concentrate a lot of times on the showmanship and we work on showmanship as much as anything at those clinics with that said we still go over all products we use and we've been with weaver livestock for several years now and instrumental in some of those uh products that we use from you know topical products and that sort of thing and so and, and as well as their equipment that they offer and so we'll we'll have discussion about what what it is and what's needed to take place on, on fitting those animals and the best way to shear them and clip them. And, you know, a lot of times you find that so many folks are, are scared to death of fitting legs. And trust me, I was that guy too at one time. I didn't want to touch them. And, and when I started in this industry and fitting sheep uh, and doing clinics, leg wool wasn't a big deal. We right. hardly have any. And now, now shag and leg wool or boots or have whatever terminology you want to use for it, it's a big deal. And so we talk about how to, you know, promote hair growth and wool growth and how to preserve what you've got and protect it. And that's, you know, and I, again, I tell people, you've still got to start with something. It's hard to, it's hard to get a lot of excess hair and wool on legs if you don't start with something. But so many times you'll see those folks that go through there and or you'll see some show up and you're like, man, that sheep should always look wool out or, or fell out or whatever the case may be. So at those clinics, we, we talk about several things. I mean, we have a feed segment that we discuss, uh, we talk about feeds and additives, and then we talk about the fitting and, you know, different products that we use on them, different types of clippers. You know, we're big, big uh, fans of wall, and we use all wall clippers on, on whenever we're fitting those sheep. And so we'll talk about that and the different uh, types of blades you can use. And then again, uh, our biggest thing is, is spending a lot of time in the show ring and, and we work on showmanship. And, I'll be the first to admit I, I'm one of those dads and I, I know Cade has, you know, has to get the brunt of me a lot of times whenever I'm trying to help him on teaching him how to show one. And I think there's a fine line there where you can be, you know, an educator on how to get those sheep trained. It's not just about, you know, driving a sheep. And I, and I tell everybody, you know, our, my biggest statement to those kids is we're working on showmanship in those clinics. It's your goal is to go out there and show the sheep and not put on a show. Mm. And I think there's a difference there. I think so many kids get out there and, you know, there's a pose and there's, you know, the way you turn your head and tilt your head and squat and get all, you know, different, different ways of presenting those things. 
and everybody has their own likes and dislikes. And I think everybody has a, a way of getting it done. But I tell them, regardless of your stance or regardless of how your presentation technique is, your goal is to go out there and get your sheep shown, show the sheep and not put on a show. And, and they laugh at it. Those kids, they, they're like, you know, they never really thought about it that way. But you want to get you want to get everything you can out of those sheep. And so, like I said, at our clinics, we talk about everything and we go over a lot of different stuff. But our our primary goal is to try to make them better showmen. Mm, that's so important. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because even in the pig industry, you know, I, I help out with some clinics and do my own when I can and that kind of thing. But I think sometimes showmanship can get overlooked and we get so focused on what these livestock look like and how they're fed and how they need to be uh, managed and this kind of stuff, which is all important. But if they can't get driven, if their head's in the dirt or if their legs aren't set right and they're arch backed and low necked and everything else, you're not going to get yeah. get up there. You got to have a showman that knows what they're doing. So I love that concept and, and the, you know, to learn different things and, and I always, you know, I struggle too with there's experienced families out there who have been to three or four or five clinics, but there's always times where you go to those and you learn more. So um, exactly. having those types of clinics, I mean, even when I'm the educator or whatever in some of them, I learn from the other ones that are that are doing their, their different type. You know, everybody has a way. Um, but Absolutely. That's awesome. So I, I tell them all the time, you know, I learned something new in this industry every day it seems like yeah you know there's always something that i could be doing better on our end and, and you and it's a trial and error you mm-hmm. know i mean from not only you know from feeding one and exercising one to how you clip one um you know showing one each sheep shows a little different i think that's a lot of times those kids have a hard time understanding is each sheep's built different yep. i tell mm-hmm. them you've got to know how your sheep is from a structural standpoint you're going to know what what their what the holes are in them if they do have there's no such thing as a perfect sheep by any means and so there's each sheep's going to show a little different i think that's where a lot of these kids struggle a lot of times and what we try to work those kinks out of at our clinics is knowing how your sheep is built what are what are the good things about your sheep what are the bad things what do you need to try to show out of them and some of those sheep you know are struggle and i think there's ways of you know engaging those sheep as i as I talk about at our clinics, when you go to brace them and set them up and show them, there's different ways you can do that to try to help that sheep look as best as he possibly can in the ring. Yeah. Mm. Well, I always say too, an average showman can make a great one look average or a really good showman can make an average one look great. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So absolutely. Showmanship is important. Exactly. One of the things too. I tell them, you know, we, we have, we've had some kids that we've helped over the years that have had a lot of success in not only just a regular showing, you know, in the market show itself, but as well as in the showmanship. And, and, and there's times you, you feel like as those, as you're teaching those kids, there are times that whenever you've got to tweak yourself and do it a little different, depending on maybe what a specific judge is looking for from a showmanship standpoint, maybe they want, you know, a little more finesse and this and this and that, you know, as far as how you present them. And so, there are there are times whenever you may show them a little different in a showmanship contest than what you necessarily would in class. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, those sheep still have to be broke, and it's it's frustrating whenever you'll see some that are not broke and look like they haven't really had a lot of one on one time. I know Kate gets frustrated with Amy and I here a lot of times because, for instance, today 
beautiful out. It's a nice day. Sun's out and then we're going to go hand walk a bunch of sheep. And I think it's important that those kids bond. That, that sheep needs to bond with that child. Less halter, more hand walking. And I think it helps in the long run. Those sheep present themselves. They learn to present themselves a lot of times in the ring. If those, if those kids have spent some time and they bond with that sheep. So a lot of hand walking around the barn and it may be, it may be frustrating and they may bulk and, 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 and even the kid (laughs) may bulk a little bit (laughs) and want to do it. But at the end of the day, whatever, they don't struggle with them in the ring, you know, it's a good thing. And, and, And we, you know, it's finding time to do that. Everybody's busy. You know, I mean, Kate plays basketball in the winter and then he'll start baseball here in in the spring. And so it's hard to find time to do that stuff. But, and, and, you know, we're at fault too. Sometimes whenever the weather's not so nice, you don't want to spend a lot of time out there doing that and, you know, go to a show. And if they're not walking out and doing right, then it's time to come home and let's fix that problem. So it's bonding with that kid. That sheep, those sheep will learn to bond with those showmen the more hands-on they are with them. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you mean to tell me that the more that kids work with things, the lesson they learn is the fact that it gets a little easier the more work you put in? A novel concept. That's exactly, that's <laughs> novel exactly concept. right. <laughs> Love it. Uh, that's the, the camp deal. You know, I even think somebody like me or, or even younger stock people could benefit by going to one, you know, um, Sure. Just, just it's it's the networking and the seeing seeing how other people do things that maybe you could you could take home and and try to improve your yourself on. So it's that's cool. I, I love the fact most of most of the time people that I know that have been to either one of your camps or or several others, typically they have a good experience the first time and they and they always come back uh, because you can't learn enough in the first one. So that's right. That's, that's right. Cool. It's a lot to take in. You know, I, yeah. I tell we have we have a lot of families and kids that will repeat, um, and they may go to a clinic three or four years in a row. And there'll be others there. Be like, you've been here how many times? And and they and they and their answer is, you know, I I think I learned something new every time I attend one. And like I said, it's hard, it's hard to pick up everything in one in, in a two day clinic. You, bet. you know, it's, it's it's hard to absorb all that. And that's the thing. It's like I said, we're fortunate that we have we have some families that, that will host those things and coordinate and put it all together. And that's kind of the way we've always done it. And we'll take we take on as many as we can possibly handle in the summer to where it will will benefit, you know, benefit, you know, ourselves and not, you know, not only from the standpoint of those kids, those kids come back and tell you, hey, I won my showmanship, even if it's on a county level. They might not have ever done that before, and mm-hmm. and it and it, it's kind of a proud moment, you know. You take pride in that that you you help the kid get something accomplished that they might not have not might not have in the, in previous years. Exactly. So, like I said, we we're fortunate enough that those you know different families that call us or individuals, 4-H clubs, uh, FFA teachers and ag teachers will call and say, "Hey, we'd like to host one. Can you? What's your dates look like?" And they set it all up, and then we we just try to coordinate and go from there. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, that leads us into our first segment we call Topics from a Hat. Topics from a Hat brought to you by Fierce Threads. Good folks at Fierce Threads do all of our screen printing and embroidery. Why aren't they doing yours? If they are, give them a call. Let them know that the boys at Stock Talk sent you. Uh, anyways, fierce-threads.com. Visit today. Put your order in. Sales season is upon us. Nothing better you can give a customer 
than some merch. True I know that. that. So, Chad, this question comes from uh, Cameron on Facebook. So his topic is uh, he's wanting to get his son started uh, showing some livestock, but he's been out of the game for quite a few years. And he remembers how overwhelming live sales could be. Um, and he's noticing online sales are now the new uh, a new beast to tackle, uh, especially if yeah. someone has been out of it. So uh, what advice do you have? to making some buying decisions and uh, making buying livestock less stressful for a first timer. Buying livestock in general is, it, it can be very stressful. You know, I, I spent all last week um, making a trip in Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, South Dakota, Nebraska, trying to find, find sheep, you know, whether I was looking for our next stud buck that might work in our own program or, buying uh, or finding some show lambs for my son or some other families would help. So many of those sheep met in this day and age, there's a lot of those sheep that are not necessarily available off the farm anymore. They've got scheduled bills that they do, uh, whether it's online uh, with SSP or SC, um, you know, Willoughby as well. There's, there's already some of those folks that are going to put those sheep in an online sale We'll still have some of those farms we visit that you can buy them and you can purchase them off the farm, which is ideal for me. I, I like that uh, as much as anybody. But the stressful part of it is to me is if you're trying to purchase those things and you're in making the rounds, you know, for new guys that are out, um, young kids just getting started, they may not know. They may not know where to go. Uh, and you, you can look online and I tell everybody there's very few sheep that we purchase ourselves that we have not at least been able to see in person put our hands on or some of my good friends that have seen them and i trust their opinion and and can feed off of them and they can describe the sheep to me if i haven't been able to make it to that particular uh farm to look at those sheep i think it's important that you see them even though it's not always convenient and that's you know that's that's probably the the most stressful thing as to what what does that sheep look like in person what what is the the good and the bad and the ugly so to speak but stress-wise it stresses me out every spring <laughs> Whenever <it comes> time <laughs> i was gonna say the stress part to, usually never leaves yeah exactly i mean that's the thing it, it, we get my wife and i have this conversation a lot this time of year as to you know a how many sheep do we need to buy where are we going to find those you know what is available what can we afford? That sort of thing. And so, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort to go out and, and hunt those things. And, and it is ideal. The, the online sale, it, it is on, it is very ideal for those guys that are, you know, sitting there at home and not knowing where to go, not knowing who to talk to, or where to get some help. And I will tell you this, that there's been very few times that if I haven't been able to see those sheep, those breeders are not, they don't want to necessarily blow smoke up your tail. They want, they want to be honest. They want to tell you up front what, what the good and the bad is in those sheep. And so I encourage people just pick up the phone and call those guys and ask mm -hmm. them, you know, say, Hey, I'm kind of looking at this one, you know, here's kind of where I'm at on my budget. I don't you know necessarily know if that's going to work. Can I buy that? You know, They'll tell you. They'll, they, I mean, most of those guys are selling sheep online. They're going to be up front and say, hey, you know what? I appreciate your enthusiasm. I think that sheep's going to be really good, but there's a pretty good chance that he's going to sell as a buck 
even though it's a buck weather option or ram weather option on there, pretty good chance it's going to sell as a buck. You might get blown in the water. I tell you, there's a there's a thinner one down the line, say lot 25 or whatever, that I think has the potential of being pretty nice. The person might get bought reasonable. Right. So that, I think that takes a lot of the, the stress off of those new guys that are out there trying to find those things. And, and again, we, I utilize that. I'll call some guys up and say, Hey, what do you think of this one? You know, and, the, and I've been fortunate enough that they're, they'll shoot straight with me. There's been times whenever I've bought sheep online that I haven't inquired about or had anybody look at that. I was disappointed when I got them home. It right. happens. I mean, there's, and, and, and the thing that people have to realize is everybody reads the sheep differently. Mm-hmm. What you may be necessarily looking for and what your priorities are may be different from the guy that's selling them. And I don't think anybody's out there to necessarily, um, mislead them in any you know in any way or do it on purpose i just think some people's priorities are different and you've got to you've got to take that into consideration whenever you're having a discussion about a certain sheep that you're buying online uh, i tell you we do buy a lot of sheep uh each year um, but again i try to at least see some of those guys prior to them selling and there has been a time or two i haven't you know, buy them not only uh whether like i said whether it's online or they'll do a lot of uh, bid board sales off the farm anymore and just kind of bid them off privately again it's it's a struggle it all depends on kind of where your what your budget is and what you can you know what you can afford and so you try to find some of those that might you know might work that are the sleepers of the bunch yeah exactly and and i i think you know live auctions are the most stressful and I love a live auction. It's an event for me. I see my buddies there and talk to people, but I can see how for a first time family, how stressful that could be and overwhelming at that. And, uh, you know, to kind of parlay off of what you're saying in a live event, I've always told my folks, if they, they want to do it themselves, um, that's awesome. But to narrow your search down, if, if there's a hundred head at this sale, you don't want to look at all of them because not all of them are going to work. So just know, know where, what your show is, the date of your show, or at least a week. And then you can approach these breeders and say, Hey, my show is on the 4th of July weekend and our weight limit is this. Do you have any that you think would work for that? And I actually, you can narrow your search down by a quarter and then you have, 10 to 12 to look at instead of 100 to 120 so and then that that, like you said i love the what what you said also about you know the breeder's success or the you know the showman's success is the breeder's success so if they're going to be honest with you and they're going to tell you okay this one's going to feed a little slower so that one could work these these group over here are going to be a little faster growing they're going to know a lot a lot more about those livestock than you and you do and if you trust that person and you can gain that relationship year after year the buying process becomes a lot easier so chad i want to dive in i want to dive into this subject a little deeper because i think there's parts of this concept that that he his he didn't ask in his question that probably need to be addressed too is so the other part is is a if you're going to a live sale or an online auction you got to know how much money you have to spend yeah and then that's right and then figure it out past that but the other part is that he didn't ask is you know if you're going in person and and you're you're just buying cheap off a of farm somebody's gonna shoot a price at you and you may not agree with it and you may want to talk start the negotiation process. 
So what, what's what's like you got some tips and, and tricks on negotiating price down on stuff. And obviously some people <laughs> just aren't going to budge, but, but you know, if, if there's somebody out there that says, no, I want 1500 for this one. And maybe you'd give 1500 for him, but you know, you'd rather spend 750 so you can take that other, you know, 750 somewhere put else. Towards another one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Put it towards another one. So any, any ticks and trips for, or trips, Tricks and tips. Well, it's a tongue, tip, tongue twister. I'm still, I'm still stumbling, man. What a day. It's a Monday, right? Uh, yes, well, it's sir. Wednesday to the people listening, but yeah. Spin off that. Hey, uh, I tell you that that's the thing. I mean, there are times that you can negotiate, you know, you might, what if I buy a pair of them? You know, what if I'm only looking necessarily for that one, but then there's another one that might take a chance on over here. What would you take for the pair? You know, can I, can I, can I cheapen them up if I buy, by two of them. And so that's, that's one way we always approach it too, is if I can go in there, if I'm just wanting to buy that one, I get it. And from, from our standpoint, I see it as well. I'm coming, you know, I'm going to somebody's place and I want to buy that one individual I think is a scorpion. Then I'm probably going to have to pay what he's asking for. But if there's a chance I could buy a, two or three of them out of that deal, then yeah, you could probably get them to come off that price a little bit. Buying them off the farm is, about the only way obviously you're going to be able to negotiate any price those live auctions are they can be very overwhelming you know mm-hmm. it's just like the you know whether you talk about the main event or you talk about premier 10 midwest elite they're overwhelming for me you know you sit there and you watch the show part of it and you try to find something that you like and then whenever it comes auction time i mean they're they're going through there so fast that it's it's it can be a little mind-boggling you know mm-hmm. like well what if what if this sheep's selling before another one that I kind of liked. Well, the one I liked originally is selling way down the line. But if I pass up this one, that's <laughs> then tough. I can't afford the next one. What am I going to do? You know. Yep. And so it it is stressful on that on that part. And you get it's easy to get caught up in in those sales. I've done it myself. You know, especially if you're if you're buying them or you're trying to buy something and you notice that you're who's bidding against you is, uh, is competition. You, it's easy to get wrapped up in there. You're like, <laughs> next thing you know, you're like, well, I planned on spending 1500 and I just spent $3,500. Right. Oh yeah. And, and so it is, it is overwhelming, especially when you start talking about the numbers and how many are there and how many options you have to choose from where, you know, buying them at different farms. And I tell people all the time, I mean, I work with a kind of a set number of breeders that I'm comfortable with. Uh, not only how those sheep have, have fed out for myself or other families that we work with, uh, know kind of how they are from a genetic standpoint. And, and I tend to go back to those. Do I venture out to new places? Absolutely. Every year I do. And you, and you try something a little different, but, but again, you've got to, you know, find a good working relationship with certain breeders. And I tell folks that all the time at those clinics we do feed off of those people, utilize your resources. Um, and and try to find a good working relationship with a specific breeder that you feel like you're comfortable with and and they're going to you know direct you in the and you know in in a good way that you feel comfortable with feeding those specific sheep. Yeah, no doubt. Now, I want to jump into a controversial topic that surrounds this perfectly. Um the, and that is, okay, these these sales are stressful. We we've established that. What are your thoughts on those family who hire somebody to just go do it for them? And what are also your thoughts on those who think negatively about this process um, of those who just go out, place 
place livestock for these families, but then pay them for their services. You know, I, I'm one of those guys. So when it comes down to it, I mean, as far as, and we all get uh, labeled, you know, as far and and unfortunately we all have a label as jocks, fitters. Okay. And I think that that in turn is, it kind of comes across as being negative. Mm. The families we work with, are families that they they may not necessarily have the time or the resources and the capability to go out and drive for five to seven days in a row and and search those out and i think those families that ask for help and say hey this is we'd like to buy some sheep they'll call us up and say here's kind of what we're thinking we'd like to have two or three here's our here's our fair our fair dates you know this is kind of where we need to be at and i always tell them i said try to have some sort of a budget in mind so that you can so we can work with that you know and figure out all right if i run across one i'm gonna i've got the money to buy that one this this family wants that and there's so many times that people do look at it from a negative standpoint and they think oh you you're getting extra help you're getting help from other folks from a certain guy, a certain jock, certain fitter. Um, and I don't see it as being a negative situation for those families that are requesting help because number one, they may not have the, they may not have the capability of getting out and going to find those. I got a couple of families that we work with that they, they, they have to buy several, They've got, you know, three to five kids that are showing sheep at one time. And for them to justify going and finding all those, I, we're kind of a one-stop shop and we, you know, obviously we will go out and buy several sheep and several different breeds and try to fit whatever we need to into those, into those families' hands. But again, I think, like you said, there are people that have a negative outlook on it and they think that they're getting extra help and it's not fair. I've not turned anybody down. Uh. There's other guys that are in my profession that, that won't turn you down either. And I, and it's a matter of, we enjoy the hunt. You know, we are very competitive myself, other guys that do similar things. We're, we're competitive people. And so it is, it's, it is a challenge and it's fun, but from the standpoint of finding those things, those families that we help may not be able to go out and spend the time and do all that the same way we are. Is there a fee involved? Yes. I mean, there's going to be somewhat of a fee involved, but it's not anything that we're looking at to get rich off of. It's, it's a situation where we want to help compensate ourselves for our time, just like Somebody would, you know, on a, on a nine to five job where I always try to be, go back and utilize or, or to use this as a example. How many of those families out there that probably think of it as being negative and, and not fair would hire a pitching coach, for their kid, if they if, if they needed help bettering themselves and playing baseball? Mm or a batting coach, or a swing coach if they're golfers. That's I need common. one of those. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I need one of those, too. <laughs> it's common. You know, it's, and, you know, they'll send their kids to a basketball camp, or they'll send them to an individual to help, you know, improve their, their, their batting or, you know, or pitching the ball or whatever it is. There's – that's not frowned upon. It seems like, you know, that's, yeah. that's just common. It's so interesting and, and when then, you start comparing the livestock industry to a sporting event. Uh, you know, I've worked with the same as you, all types of families and each of them are great, 
and you know I don't care what your budget is. I'll help you find that that livestock for you. And you know when they're ready to take that next step, like you know, okay, well they're wanting five hundred dollars for that bear or whatever it is. Five hundred dollars. Right. My gosh. Well, and then you know, like I said, budget friendly. We can find cheaper ones. But how much did you spend at the baseball tournament this past weekend? <laughs> there you go. And they start thinking, oh, well, and so that this is kind of our sport. And it's also an investment in your children uh, because they're learning the responsibilities and everything else we talk about in this show. Uh, I don't need to deep dive deep in for our returning listeners, but I'm I am running right beside you, man, with about everything you're saying, because I am too one of those uh, that I love to help. And I call myself a livestock coach. Uh, because that sounds sure. a heck of a lot better than jock. Uh, and you're you're yeah, exactly totally. right. That's a negative connotation now. And um, we we just want paid for our little bit of time uh, the, compared to a lot of time we put into it and the miles we put on our vehicle. That's literally all I'm asking. Well, that's well, just it. I mean, like I said, we spent a week last week, a buddy of mine, and we went and traveled. And, you know, what, what folks probably... I, I always crack up and kind of get a chuckle out of the fact that say, for instance, I bought a sheep through a sale in Ohio and it was posted on champion drive. as to this sheep brought this amount of money or, you know, they, they do that as far as different sales. They show them online. I get to my house and, and I'm like, all right, this, what do you want for that sheep? And I tell them, well, didn't he bring this amount? Yes, <laughs> but you you drove to my house to look through all of his peers as well, and you didn't have any other any other fee involved other than your your time for the day and your fuel to my house to pick through 150 or better. I went and you know, and they don't they don't think a lot of times the the the, the where they're coming, you know, and when when people do ask that question, I should say. I, I, you kind of have to step back and be like, all right, well, you have not gotten near the expense in, in finding those things. And it's, I don't have people bulk at me and do that, but there's been a time or two. If they can't afford, you know, if they, they feel like they're, should be able to get them cheaper. You know, I'm a negotiator too. I mean, we all do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether, especially if it's something we've raised, you know, if, if, if here's what I would like, they, like I said, maybe I want 1500 for him, but. Would I take a thousand or would I take seven fifty? Well, possibly. You know, you mm-hmm. start trying to weigh everything in and see is that going to be feasible? Can I afford to can I afford to take less on that particular one? And so, right. again, like I said, it runs it runs uh, a lot of time running down the road and doing all that stuff. A lot of those folks, if they're asking for help, they they realize they don't have the time, they don't have the resources to do that. I'll call and get some help and do so. And you know, and and we do the same thing even with. The sheep we sell, especially on Oklahoma and Texas, we have a lot of families that will set up times when I'm home and and bring the sheep to the house and we work on showmanship. We look and see what we need to do and tweak feed and, you know, different, different whatever we need to be done at that particular time to try to help that sheep feed out the best we possibly can. Yep. So yeah, I'm taking a day off my time to do so and so they they get it you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying the, right the families we work with have been fortunate enough that they understand it well for the ones who don't think about it like this you can go to the grocery store buy a package of steaks come home cook it yourself you may not be very good at cooking steak i don't know but regardless right. you can you can do that or 
you can go downtown to the nicest steakhouse you can find, get you a prime cut of meat grilled by a professional and sit in front of your plate. And all you had to do is walk in the door and drive there. Yeah. And and walk away and not do dishes. And walk away and (laughs) not do dishes. That's right. So that's how, that's, if you're ever in question of the reason why, you know, things are the way that they are when it comes to Trevor's livestock coaches. Yeah. Right. Think of it exactly like that. If you're going to go pay to have a nice steak dinner and not worry about anything else in the, in the procurement or the dishes afterwards, that's the same thing when buying, when working with somebody that's going to help you find your livestock, help you feed Absolutely. all that kind of stuff. Work, but it's helpful to have somebody out there that really knows what they're doing. Um, and to those that, that talk on it negatively and say that it's not a teachable moment to kids and, and, you know, it's not part of the process. It's not how you things used to be. You're right. It's not how things used to be, but I will say this, that those kids get just as much out of this project by working with somebody that's experienced and can help them along their journey just as much as the next kid that's getting their butt beat standing fifth in class every time at their county fair because they haven't gone out and sought out the help because Absolutely. Doing the way things have been always, always been done. So I digress. That's my, <laughs> that's my that's but, a good topic. Uh, that's a great topic. Um, so Chad, let's talk about feed because you're a guy that's been instrumental in uh, in developing some feed and, and heck you got, uh, High Noon's named a show ration after you guys, which is kind of cool. Um, and you, you've helped out with a couple other uh, products that they carry too. And so um, talk about that, uh, why you decided to develop your own feed, first of all, how you feed it, um, and then some of those other other products that you, uh, you've worked with. No, we, uh, growing up, we had a mill that was about an hour and a half from our house and that's kind of where we always had a ration made and they and they had that ration developed there and so you get accustomed to feeding a certain type of feed and everybody has there's several feeds out there that work i'm one of those guys that i tell everybody and again it's it's an opportunity we talk about this a lot at those clinics but i tell them regardless of what base feed you start with there are several out there that work i I know what works for us. And so when we started working with high noon on specific, uh, on specific feed, <laughs> excuse me, they, uh, there's some things they be tweaked and what, in in my opinion, as far as the reason we tweak some, some things and ended up coming up with our own ration that we call Charmers and show lamb from the standpoint of the way sheep have, have changed over the years. You know, I think you've got to adjust feed based on the type of sheep you're feeding. I think there's different types of protein levels and fat levels in feed that that work better for certain types of sheep and the way they're built, and sometimes the way they're bred. So with that said, our Charmers and Show Lamb is a 16% protein feed, and it's 3% fat, and we have the fiber set at 12%. We like to call it a user-friendly feed. As we are, as we start those lambs out. And we get them, you know, whenever we get them weaned uh, at our house and we start to swap them over from a creep feed uh, that we use uh, the Oklahoma mix that High Noon makes there. And we start to gradually work them over to our show lamb feed. For us, I think the show, the Charmerson show lamb is easy for them to adapt to. 
you can feed as much as you need to or as little as you need to. And those sheep seem to maintain themselves and keep their shape and expression with the amount of fat that is there and the, where the protein is set at. And more importantly, on the fiber, I think their gut stays healthier. Now, we've been feeding Charmers and Showland for several years. Uh, and again, if we have the mill that makes it there in Bird City, Kansas. There's a mill in Ohio that makes it. And then uh, most recently, the, the one there in Texas that uh, that makes it as well. So well, we guys, try to, or I think High Noon prides themselves in the feed industry for us is consistency. And I like the fact that whenever I open a bag of feed, it looks the same as it did the last batch it was made. And I think consistent product is is key in how you feed any type of livestock. But more importantly, on these sheep, they're finicky. And, you know, ours is a more of a corn-based ration. So I think that whenever you're feeding that, you can feed less volume as time goes on throughout the season. If you're trying to maintain those sheep and not try to get them too fat, that you can feed less volume of it and they, and they maintain their shape and expression without having to feed large amounts of feed, like three to four pounds a day. The concept of Charmerson show lamb has been around longer than the actual bag of feed that says Charmerson show. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yes, it has. Yep. And so, like I said, high noon picked it up to where we struggled whenever that mill shut down. When I was teaching at Elgin, this, this mill was actually located in Burlington, Oklahoma. And so I would drive or one of my parents would, you know, they take turns uh, and go and drive and get that feed because I was accustomed to feeding. I knew what it, I knew how it fed. I could, I could coach them and, and advise them on how to feed that specific feed. When that mill shut down, uh, um, kind of struggled there and scrambled to figure out what we were going to do. I mean, we fed different rations uh, from different companies. And again, like I said, they work, um, but I wasn't comfortable with it. I, I didn't know how to feed it. And I tell people all the time, once you figure out something, you'll learn something new every day in, in feeding livestock for sure. But once you figure out how to feed a specific feed, try to stick with it. A lot of times I think people make the mistake is, oh, I'm going to jump to this midstream of the show season. Or somebody suggested this feed's working really good. So, hey, let me go buy this feed mm-hmm. and try it. And if you're not consistent with your own program, those sheep are just finicky enough that they don't, they don't want to you know, stay on feed. Whenever high noon was for us was relatively new and I didn't know a whole lot about them. A good friend of mine and another mentor in this, in the show part of our industry and who helped my brother and myself a lot as we uh, were showing ourselves, Brits and urban and since passed away is one individual that uh, I learned a lot about how to feed show animals and how to feed sheep in particular. And he had a ration himself. And as time went on, I felt like that uh, we could tweak it a little bit and change it up to, you know, increase the protein a little bit, increase the fiber. And it's, and it, to me, it helped benefit uh, the benefit the way I like to feed sheep ourselves. And so as we tweak that Charmerson show lamb, there'll be times whenever you feel like you're not given enough volume. And so you got to have something to make them feel satisfied and feel, mm-hmm. they feel like they're, that they're comfortable. And, uh, and, and again, there's different uh, types of fillers out there. At high noon, come out with the product, uh, the sheep and goat extra fill. And I am, we were instrumental in trying to help develop that and get that started. We fed some different fillers throughout the, throughout the last couple of years, just because high noon didn't have a specific filler that I was comfortable with. And again, since we got that 
in in uh, for sale now, that product, the extra fill, has been very very key in our program. I I think that stuff, as far as making those sheep feel satisfied, you can and you know again, it's it's a six percent protein, not real high protein. You've got a, basically a one and a half percent fat, so you're not adding a lot of protein or fat to it. But fiber wise, there's thirty percent fiber. Huh. And so you're getting some added fill as far as just roughage products that are going to help them maintain their fill. I mean, you know, in today's world, it seems like more and more show lambs need to have a little more swoop to their belly, so to speak. Okay. You want them to have, you want them to be deep in their flank. I'm not a big fan of having to leave a lot of excess belly wool on sheep because I think it looks fake. You know, <laughs> you're not really, you're not, you're not uh, disguising that or fooling any judge. And so you want to find something that's going to help maintain that lower belly in those sheep and make them appear to be a little shallower chested and have a little more fill from their sheath back on, if, you know, speaking of weathers. And so the extra fill for us has been very instrumental in our program as far as making those sheep appear to be a little fuller. And more importantly, you can feed less of your base feed a lot of times and supplement it with the fill and they're still comfortable and you still maintain that look from the side on those sheep as far as keeping enough rear flank in them. Well, in 2020, alfalfa hay just ain't going to get it done. <laughs> that's that's true. You're right. You're and, right. I mean, it's just, you've got to have something a little different. And, you know, like I said, there's some, you know, cottonseed hulls and some ground up corn cob and some oats and, and a lot of roughage products, basic roughage products that people, you know, you have to understand all those roughage, it moves through them. They're going to yeah. digest that yeah. relatively easy and it's going to move through them. But whenever you try to keep that rear flank, you got to have something in there that's going to help expand that and swell. And you want it to, you know, again, some need less than others for sure. We've got a couple of sheep that just do not necessarily need it. They stay full as a tick as it is. Mm. There's some that we want to get more body in them. And, and, and again, I think this has been ideal for the way we like to feed sheep. And I needed something to help maintain them or, again, drop some more flank and get some more body in them. And the thing that's nice is so many of those fillers, it seems like a lot of times, as we were using them before we had the, the extra fill, sometimes the sheep just wouldn't eat it. They didn't want it, you know, whether it be a pellet or whether it be, you know, straight cob or any or anything like that. There's a lot of times those sheep just don't desire that, and they they'll they'll leave it. And mm. so we want to try to design something that they would at least eat. When you mix it in with your other ration and your other additives and stuff, something that they will consume. And we've had good luck with them want to, want, wanting to eat this and them staying on feed with it. Cool. Yeah. Not just a whole lot of guys out there that have a have a show feed that they developed yeah. and and, while raising life. So, I mean, there's guys that dabble, I know, and, and some, you know, making their own U rations cause it paying, paying 15 to 20 bucks a bed for, for feed, just to feed your right. use is a little outrageous, but yeah. Um, yeah. some people do it. <clears throat> Doug edge. I'm talking to you <laughs> anyway. <laughs> like I, I my, said, it's I, been, you know, Burlington mill there in Burlington, Oklahoma is where a lot of it, uh, where we, where we started as far yeah. as on that, that specific type of feed and again good friend Ritson uh had developed one off of that as well and then we kind of tweaked it from there and have developed ours and i learned a lot just about feeding sheep in general from that from that gentleman and then just kind of taking it from there yeah that's absolutely feed talk's always interesting and you could talk for hours on it and like i said it's pretty unique to have your own name 
on your own feed. So I had to talk right. about that. Now, speaking of feeding the animals, we know the nutrition behind it now, but it always seems that animals, I'll, I'll do this across all species, but those fed in the South, and let's focus on lambs, those lambs fed in the South are fed and managed differently than those up here in the Midwest. Do you agree with that? And what kind of differences do you see if so? I do. Primarily because environment's different. Mm. Um, when you start talking about trying to feed sheep in the Midwest, for instance, those things are generally needing to be ready a lot sooner than what Oklahoma shows or even Texas shows are. Mm -hmm. Meaning they've got to have them ready in July in August. And so they're pushing. And so when you start thinking about volume of feed and in general, they're going to feed a lot more volume. They may even have a tendency to feed three times a day where we're accustomed to feeding twice a day. Mm. And so they are fed different in the Midwest a lot of times. And they're pushing on those guys, trying to get as much grow out of them, as much condition on them as they can so that they can get them to a certain stage in their, in their maturity to where they have an opportunity to exercise those things and, and try to help some with overall muscle development. And so, yes, I do believe that they are fed differently up there in the state of Oklahoma, in the state of Texas. We don't have to feed as much volume early on. We don't have to have them ready uh, like our state fair, for instance. Uh, Oklahoma, the one in Oklahoma City is in mid-September, and then we go first week of October for Tulsa State Fair. We're able to coast those things and let them kind of do it gradually and slow. And so we may not be feeding more than you know, some, some obviously if they're thinner and they need to be pushed, we'll feed a little higher energy and add some fat, like the high noon shine them up to their diet, but we don't have to feed as much volume and make them grow as fast as what they do in the Midwest. And we coast them and we feed all, I mean, the thing is so many of those sheep are fed for 13, 14 months. Right. Where they're in the Midwest, they're done with them in, you know, July and August. So they've got to get as much out of them as fast as they can. And they got to push as hard as they can to still try to keep them on feed. A lot of times sheep are just finicky enough that whenever you start getting too much volume at them at one time, they'll go off and then you're trying to start all over again. It may take two or three days. So a lot of folks, I, you know, even I've had some that we work with that'll feed, you know, three times a day, smaller volumes of feed three times a day. And they end up taking in a lot more than what they would if you offered them the same amount twice a day. And so, yeah, I think there is a huge, uh, there is a difference. And that's, for me, that's part of the reason why is the fact that they, there's different times they have to have them ready. Gotcha. No, it's always, yeah. they seem like those ones down uh, south are always a little older. And, and that makes sense because uh, demographically you're having them for longer shows and, and those shows are later in the day. So uh, that's always interesting, but uh, that's one of the topics I wanted to bring up. Anytime we have somebody in a different region on the microphone, it's nice to to gather that information. Yeah. So, 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 Chad hit on that just a little bit too. Is like, you know, it, it, sheep especially. I mean, hogs is getting there and cattle too, but you know, we're starting to feed these these weathers longer and older. You know what what's the what's your thoughts on on that? Are are we is that a good move? Or are we just, are we just, is that affect genetics and breeding? And, you know, how, what's your thoughts there, on that? There are a lot of sheep in the industry that the guys are raising that are going to feed longer than others. Okay. So you know, we've had, again, you've got to think about 
ultimately how much internal fat those guys are going to have in them by the time they're 13, 14 months old. We feed sheep a lot longer. You know, for years, we always like to have, especially going into, say, for instance, our shows in the spring, looking at OYE being in the middle of March. Theoretically, we thought we needed March and April sheep. In, in today's world, a lot of times there is a market for March and Aprils, and I think that you can get some of them there, but so many of them, it's hard to get them there in terms of their maturity, especially whenever you're showing against some that may be the same size, the same weight, but they've got two months on you in terms of age. Right. They had two more mm-hmm. months to develop more muscle, more shape, more internal fat, more condition, you know, outwardly as well. So we do feed them a lot longer than we used to. I mean, for instance, we've got, we've, we have good luck feeding some, you know, mid February sheep will be you know, right at that 13 month old stage going into OIE. We've also got a few that uh, we've ran even longer than that. We've had some, some January sheep that we've ran all the way to March and it's mm-hmm. doable. It's about how you manage them. That's where I think, again, with our specific ration, the Charmerson show lamb, as well as the extra fill that we've come up with recently, you can maintain those sheep for a long time on less volume and not, not get them mature looking or too obese, uh, if you will, as far as just getting them, keeping them in more athletic condition. Right. The thing is that people don't realize on those older sheep, you've got to make them athletes. I mean, they've got to, they've got to exercise and you've got to watch how much their intake is and how much fat, but you've also got to, you've got to make those sheep as athletic as possible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, one more segment. Social smash. Chad, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we have fun sound effects. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. (laughs) So, uh, we talked a little off air about, your social media presence, which for you personally isn't hardly existent at all. Uh, but, yes. but, uh, we do want your take on, on social media and what your pet peeve is. But before we do that, I'd like to mention that our sw- segment sponsor for social smash is brought to you by Brad Hal Ford. The folks in Kokomo, Indiana have award-winning customer service. That'll put you in that nice new truck. You should have done it before tax season, but you can still do it. <laughs> Go get yourself a nice brand new Ford truck to drive down the road, haul your kids rig to a show looking sharp and make sure that you don't break down. Get that new truck. Might as well buy the, Ford. the wife or the girlfriend an SUV while you're at it. Just soup up the whole, the whole rig. Yeah. If you're really messed yeah. up on Valentine's day, you can get them a new, <laughs> a new, new truck. How about that? <laughs> new ride. So yeah, Chad, this segment is all about uh, just some pet peeves we have on social media and uh, or just the industry in general. So maybe what are some of those pet peeves you have and how do we correct them? Like I kind of mentioned off air there is social media. I'm not a, I'm not into, to be honest with you. My, my wife, Amy, would uh, be laughing at this uh, segment for sure because I don't, I don't pay attention to a lot of social media. I don't, I don't have my own personal Facebook page either. And, and there, and again, I think there are some advantages to social media. And then I think there's some disadvantages. I, one, as far as social media goes for myself, I get, I get irritated a lot of times looking at other, you know, social media. So therefore I try to just avoid it at all costs. But from an advantage standpoint, I think there's a great way to market not only your your program, uh, whether you're wh- whatever you're involved in, whether it's raising livestock or trading livestock, uh, 
feed sales, whatever. I think it's a great tool to far as promotion. And so many times anymore, it's how a lot of things are promoted and how they are sold. You know, somebody will call me up, you know, people that uh, I do some business with are like, Hey, we posted pictures on our Facebook page and I'm like, great. Now I got to go figure out how to find them. <laughs> I don't know. So then I, and I, and I am like, just send me the pictures. They're like, they're, we've already posted them. They're on Facebook. And so I'm like, okay, this is wonderful. <laughs> so then I find myself creeping on my wife's Facebook page. And again, she's like, okay, you've been on my Facebook. Yeah. Well, you accidentally liked something. I was like, Oh, didn't know that. So <laughs> I, I got to be real careful. So I don't even know how to run it. And so, yeah, I'm old, I guess, or, or just not <laughs> not with it. I, I tell everybody that that kind of gives me a hard time about not being involved in social media or Facebook is, so. well, hey, at least I do have an iPhone. I don't still use my flip phone so or the bag phone that I started with. So I do upgrade on, on some some instances. But <laughs> are you, are you I think social media, what was that? Do you Snapchat? Are you a Snapchatter? I do Snapchat, actually. I do have that. See, wow. there you go. That's that's Snapchat. a form of social media, kind of. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that is. That's true. <laughs> More entertaining. Than but Facebook I do most think the there is some. I think there's a lot of benefits to it. I mean, I, I won't. I'm not going to sit here and say it's all negative because I think there's some benefits to it uh, from from a marketing standpoint. And you find that that's how a lot of things are marketed in in the livestock show industry anymore. So many, so many uh, breeders anymore will post those things up there, and it, and it draws interest. And I think it's great. Um, like I said, I, you know, my pet peeve is people that get on there and, and being negative about it and, and making, you know, rude, unnecessary comments about, uh, different, different topics that might arise on, on Facebook, so to speak. And so, yeah, that's my, my pet peeve is, or, you know, random questions that, that might not even be, uh, appropriate, you know, <laughs> on social media, right. just different or, or people have, making comments about, you know, we talked about earlier about, uh, livestock coaches, as you mentioned, you know, people making bad comments about those situations or how their kid was treated unfairly at a show or they didn't like a judge. And I get irritated that I'm like, you know, if you have, if you have a problem, there's no point in airing it out in public, you know, yes. talk time. about it at home, talk about it to your close friends, but there's no point in putting it out there on social media and, and making, a bad name or giving everybody a bad vibe about livestock in general. Yes. So that's probably my biggest pet peeve is just how sometimes I think people take it to a different, uh, different level. They use it for the wrong reasons. But like I said, I think from a marketing standpoint and helping promote your own program and your, and your, whether it's selling livestock or selling additives or feed or whatever it is, I think it's a huge benefit for that. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's evolving. I'm waiting for the next one to come out. It was MySpace, and now it's Facebook yeah. and Twitter and Instagram, and there's got to be another one coming out soon. So, absolutely, uh, I'm, no, sure I'm, there just, will. I'm a I'm a Star Wars nerd, and I'm <laughs> kind of a closeted Star Wars nerd. But you know how they have like the hologram, like calls <laughs> where they could project a person, they could actually be there standing and talking and moving. That's next. <laughs> it's gonna happen. That would be next. It will happen. So uh, it's been an incredible conversation so far, and uh, we always ask uh, this second season of our show, uh, the last question we ask all of our, our guests are, what lessons has the stock show industry taught you? This industry has been very educational from, from day one for me. Uh, you know, the livestock uh, 
or stock show industry, you know, like I said, when we started, we didn't, we didn't know a lot, didn't have a lot, didn't have a lot of clue what was going on, but knew, I knew I liked it and I wanted to be a part of it. And so I tell people there's always people to lean on. There's always, and what I have found that's taught me the most is utilizing your resources. Like I mentioned before, find those people that you can, that you can lean on, that you can have faith in and you trust their opinion and, and utilize those guys for the, the wealth of knowledge they may have uh, that they've learned over the years. So I think there's the stock show industry as a whole sometimes gets a black eye and I, and I get frustrated with that because there's a lot of responsibility that is taught not only from an adult standpoint, but kids more importantly, that those kids learn um, responsibility, the daily care, the, the time and effort that you put in into it. And, you know, there's, there's times, like I said, with, with us having a 10 year old showman today was not a day that he wanted, he's out of school today. And this was not necessarily something he had in mind that he was going to be doing legs and rinsing legs and working with sheep and <laughs> walking around the barn. And there's always something that, that, but I can tell you that over time, even myself, you start to appreciate a win. If you do get a win and there's times with the stock show industry, you may not win them all. And, and it's frustrating, not only from my standpoint as a parent or uh, somebody who helps other kids, you can't win them all. And there's times you wonder why you even fight it. Mm. Yep. But you've got to, to me, the, the, the stock show industry has taught me that there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. And that's with life in general. You can't necessarily just throw in the towel as much as you might want to once in a while. It's taught me that there's there, there's times you have to just keep plugging along, keep fighting. You will. There is always a light at the end of the tunnel. There's going to be a day when you do have your day in the in the spotlight, even though you may feel like it's never it's never there. But there, tides will turn, and so many, you know, whether it's a specific guy that's sorting them that you may not be able to hit, but the next judge maybe may have the light may like the type of sheep that you're dragging. And so you've got to keep rolling with it. You know, as far as from raising sheep, you know, to kind of change the subject off of showing them as far as raising them. Again, like I talked about whenever uh, we talk about Brian Riley and mentoring me through a lot of times, whenever I question, why are we raising these things? <laughs> you know, we, we, we personally have had a kind of a rough spring here with our own program. We've, never dealt with some cash Valley and we've had to deal with some cash Valley this spring. And I had no clue what it was when those lambs started hitting the ground or, or attempting to try to come out. And, you know, we've, we've never had to deal with that. We haven't had a lot of abortion issues in this particular year. It's been trying. It's, it's made you wonder, it's made us wonder why we're doing this or makes you not want to go to the barn and every see one lambing on the camera. thinking, is this going to be another wreck? Is this mm -hmm. going to be another mess that I'm having to pull out of this, out of the shoe? Yeah. It might be different next year, you know, and what few we may have on the ground this year look really good. I'm I'm pleased with what we have on the ground, even though we've got some ewes that babies didn't survive or some that they aborted. So I'm, I'm pleased with what we have. And so you got to look at it from the standpoint that everything happens for a reason, <laughs> whether it's in, you know, just life in general, there's always, there's everything happens for a reason. And, and to me, you got to, what I've learned from this industry is that you've got to just take one day at a time and, and keep working at it and, and learn from your mistakes and try to get better. Absolutely. 
Well, we appreciate uh, taking time out of your busy season so far and, and even today. So the folks are going to really enjoy this one because I certainly have. And uh, Chad, we appreciate all your knowledge and uh, we look forward to getting this well, guys, episode out there. It. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad to do it and uh, wish everybody a, a healthy spring and good luck in this show season. Cool. Well, thanks, Chad. I don't know, Corey, but uh, the more and more we talk, the more and more I learn. So I'm hoping the folks are getting a little bit of something out of this because I sure did. So Chad's a great guy. I uh, hope to uh, talk to him more in the future. And sounds like he's got a lot of things going at once. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been to one of his clinics, but, uh, you know, I'd probably just go just to see how it all operates because it sounds pretty in-depth. Yeah. I mean, talk you're getting all the way talking down to what uh, what – clipper blades to use so i mean that's pretty intense stuff going on so that's cool yeah i would uh i would love to to see how that whole oiled machine works because it's been pretty good success for those guys but yeah good dude can't tell you guys enough uh how much we love talking to guys like chad and everybody that we've interviewed to this point and it's just been it's been fun and thank you for sending in your topics and your questions yes continue to do that And while you're doing that, thinking about Stock Talk, visit us on stocktalk-podcast.com and give us a five-star review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And we have a scholarship to come up. Anybody that may know about a scholarship or need one, it's $1,000, and you get a future feature on Stock Talk episode. Plus, we got a show tour coming up here in the spring. I'm looking forward to that. So that's right. A lot of things going. Right. Plug in Edge Club Lambs one more time. Barnes open. Come find us. There we Online go. sales March 9th, March 23rd. W Livestock. Love it. <laughs> I'll be well, around. Give me a call. Guys, we wouldn't be doing this deal if it wasn't for you. And we truly mean that. Uh, we get more and more people every week listening. Keep spreading the good word and uh, share what we put out there on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter because that's all we're on all of them. Guys, you are absolutely incredible. This has been another edition of Stock Talk. I gotta go.